This week, we're talking about tips for post-processing, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. This week, we're going to be talking all about post-processing and various tips that I have for you guys to hopefully improve your post-processing. It's a tough subject to talk about on an audio podcast because it's such a visual thing. And for that reason, I guess we haven't talked about it too much in the past, but it is such an important part of photography these days. In this day and age of modern technology, it's a, it's a pretty important subject. And I feel like we would be remiss to not have an episode dedicated towards it. So that's what we're going to do this week. Before we jump into this week's episode, though, I do have two announcements. The first one is I've knocked $400 off my Kawaii workshop, my photographing paradise workshop. That workshop is now under $1,000, and for $999, you can go on a seven-day workshop with myself and Majid Batazadigan on the beautiful island of Kauai. Kauai is probably my favorite place on earth. I know I love a lot of places, but Kauai is just special to me. It is a tropical paradise. It is literally a tropical paradise. And and the funny thing about workshops is you can do a workshop in Iceland and everybody flocks to it because it kind of has that name that people associate with photo destination place. But Kauai doesn't really have that same connection. And it's crazy because I've probably gotten photos that I'm much happier with in Kauai than I have and during any of my other workshops. And because of the nature of tropical islands, good light is so much easier to get on Kauai just because it's partly cloudy with a chance of rain and rainbows every single day. Literally, it is a 50% chance of rain every day in Kauai. And for that reason, you just get tons of good light. But people don't really associate it with a photo destination location. And for that reason, I struggle to sell out my workshop. So for that reason, I've knocked $400 off this year's workshop. It's going to be coming up in January of 2019. I guess that makes it next year's workshop. But if you're interested in going for now at a discount, you can find that over at nickpagephotography.com. Hope to see you there. It really is my favorite workshop I do every year. And, you know, if I continue to struggle to sell it out, it might be the last time I ever lead a workshop there. So this is your chance. The other announcement that I have is that I've been asked to be a guest presenter at the Create Photography Retreat next March in Las Vegas. The Create Photography Retreat used to be the Improved Photography Retreat. Now it's called the Create Photography Retreat. And now the Improved Photography Podcast is called the Master Photography Podcast, but all of the crazy name changes aside, this is a photography conference put on with all of your favorite people from Master Photography Podcast, Connor Hibbs, Erica, and Jeff Harmon, and all the gang. They're also going to have people like myself, Greg Benz, and several other really great presenters. I'm excited to be a part of it. And it's a really a pretty affordable conference as well. It's going to be under $400 if you get signed up before October 1st. So if you go to create photography retreat slash Nick, that's going to enter you into a drawing where they're going to pick somebody and I'm going to be doing a half hour portfolio review with that person. Also, if you get signed up before October 1st, you're going to get an early bird discount as well. So hopefully I'll see you guys there if that's something that you're interested in. Okay, so with that, let's jump into this week's episode where I give you tips for post-processing.
think now more than ever, post-processing is a really important part of the photography workflow just because there's so much that can be done and it's really where a person's vision and creative style come into play. You can have two people go photograph the same exact location and the way that they post-process their photos oftentimes is the thing that sets those two photos apart the most. It's also where a lot of people just screw up their photos. <laughs> I know when a person is new to post-processing or early in the post-processing evolution of things, people do more harm than good during post-processing just by overcooking, over-baking their photos. And if they did less, oftentimes they would come away with a better result. So we're gonna kinda go down the line and I'm gonna give you guys tips for different stages of the post-processing workflow for both Lightroom and Photoshop that hopefully will help you guys regardless of your skill level. So tip number one is to be organized when you're importing your photos. Too many people just don't take the time to properly import their photos, meaning organizing your photos into a very easy to find cataloging system. It doesn't really matter which cataloging system that you use as far as, you know, naming conventions and stuff, but the important thing is that it makes sense to you and then it's going to make sense to the you that is five years down the road looking back at what you're doing now. So make sure that whatever cataloging system and whatever naming system that you're using, it's going to make sense to future you because these photos need to be findable five to 10 years to 15 years down the road. The second thing is, is to make sure that you're shooting in raw. I know that's kind of a basic thing, but it's gotta be put out there. Make sure that you're shooting in raw. I still go back and post-process a lot of my old photos, and I can do that because I was shooting in raw, and I still have those original files to go back and to play with, and oftentimes I'm editing photos from my very first year of photography and seeing it through new eyes because my ability to post-process has changed so much. So the next thing and probably the most important thing that I'm going to say in all of this is to work locally. And what I mean by working locally is to use either adjustment brushes or gradient filters inside of Lightroom. If you're inside of Photoshop, making sure that you're using layer masks to only apply the effect or the edit or the contrast or whatever it is that you're doing, to only apply that to the part of your photo that you're trying to process and trying to edit. Far too many people just do global adjustments, meaning that they do an adjustment and it applies to every single pixel in the whole file. They will grab the highlights, they'll bring them down, they'll grab the shadows, they'll bring them up, they'll add some contrast, they'll add some saturation, maybe they'll add clarity, and they apply it to the entire photo, rather than making a selection of some kind and bringing down the brightness of the sky and making a selection of some kind and bringing up the brightness of your foreground. You can get much better results if you only are working locally and you're only affecting the part of the photo that you're trying to affect and trying to target. In Lightroom, you can do this with adjustment brushes and gradient filters, but they've also added range masking, which is actually useful as well if you're in a Lightroom only post-processing workflow. Range masking allows you to only affect the tones that you're attempting to affect. Let's say you're trying to darken the sky. That's going to be one of the most common use cases for this. You can take a gradient filter or an adjustment brush, bring down the exposure, paint that over your sky, and then you can use the range masking to mask out some of the darker tones in the photo. That way the mountain that is breaking the horizon line doesn't get darkened along with your sky. 
this is the same reason that I encourage a lot of people to avoid using graduated filters because there's a lot of negative artifacts and negative things that happen when you use just a, you know, a dumb filter like that that's not targeting highlights. A graduated filter is, a, in a way, a destructive workflow. So you should try to avoid that stuff unless it's giving you an absolutely perfect result because there's no undoing a graduated filter. It's a destructive workflow that can't be undone. If you're working inside of Photoshop, let's say, and you're trying to add some texture and dimension into, let's say, some of the rocks in the scene, you can add some local contrast or maybe you can add some clarity through an Adobe Camera Raw filter on a pixel layer and then use a layer mask to only paint that adjustment into the areas of your photo where you want it to be affected. That way you're not adding clarity to the blue sky or to the background foliage that you don't really want the eye to be drawn to. You're only adding clarity and adding texture to those rocks that you're trying to target. Like I said, this is a difficult thing to talk about in an audio podcast, but hopefully I'm painting a word picture for you. Working locally is probably the most important tip that I can give you guys. There's several different ways of working locally. We've mentioned using layer masks inside of Photoshop. We've mentioned graduated filters and adjustment brushes and radial filters inside of Lightroom. And then you can use range masking to fine tune that. But one of the reasons I push people towards a Photoshop workflow is because of how powerful it is. So let's say that you're trying to darken down the sky in your frame, a pretty common thing that most people are doing inside their landscape photos because that's, you know, the dynamic range problem. Let's say that we're trying to darken down that sky. Let's also envision that we have a whole bunch of trees breaking that horizon. It's going to be very difficult to just paint in a layer mask where you're only affecting the sky and not the trees. You're always going to end up with a bright halo around the edge of the trees into the sky or dark halo in the trees because you're not able to paint that layer mask accurately enough. This is where selections and luminosity mass selections can really come into play because those are going to guide you and function like a stencil to where you're only affecting the part of the photo that you're trying to affect. What you can do is you can start to paint on your layer mask and, and, and get those big empty areas of the sky. And then when you get closer to the area around those trees, you can go and grab a selection with a luminosity mask that's only going to allow you to paint into the bright pixels. And then you can use that like a stencil to only allow you to darken in the bright pixels. That way you're not going to negatively affect those trees. Or let's envision a totally different shot. Let's envision a shot with a chunk of ice on ice beach in Iceland. I can envision this because I've shot this, but envision uh, just this lone chunk of ice surrounded by swirling water, the water moving around it. Let's say that we want to add a bunch of contrast to that ice, but we don't want to add contrast to the whole frame because we have that bright sea foam that's already really close to white. We have that black sand that's already close to black. And if we add a bunch of contrast to the whole scene, we're going to be blowing out highlights in our foam and blocking up shadows in our sand. But let's say that we make a contrast adjustment to where we're adding a bunch of contrast and we go to uh, manually mask that in with a layer mask over the top of that chunk of ice. The problem we're going to run into are those edges where as we accidentally paint outside of the lines around our chunk of ice, we're going to be darkening down the sand or brightening up the water and it's going to look very amateur. 
what we can do is we can create a selection. We can go grab the quick select tool and grab a selection of that chunk of ice and use that like a stencil as we're painting onto our layer mask. And that's going to keep us painting inside the lines in that layer mask and only allow us to add contrast just to that chunk of ice. So working locally and using selections, whether they're just selections using the quick select tool of some kind, or maybe they're a color selection or a luminosity mask selection, those selections are gonna be massively important to restricting us to only add that adjustment to the part of the photo that we're attempting to affect. And it's those attentions to detail that are really gonna take our post-processing to the next level. So the next thing is attention to detail. When you first start with post-processing, you tend to work quick and dirty and sloppy. But the really master photographers that all of us look up to, they have this amazing attention to detail. They're always envisioning their shot printed large on someone's wall. And for that reason, they take the time to be very meticulous and to make sure that each adjustment is doing exactly the amount that they want it to do in the exact area that they want it to do. They always go in and double check for any kind of negative things that their adjustments might be doing to their photos. They're very meticulous. A lot of us just work too fast, too quick, and too dirty, and we have a lot that we can learn from those people that process really slow and very methodically and very meticulously. So this tip is make sure that you work slow, take your time, and make sure that you're combing over your photo and thinking about everything you're doing. And make sure that you're not doing anything that has some kind of negative effect on your photo. The next tip is less is more. Certainly there's lots of things that we can do to our photos. And for that reason, oftentimes our photos just look overbaked and overdone. When you're post-processing, less is always more. I'm always striving as I get better to get more and more tasteful and more subtle with my post-processing. And I encourage everyone to try to do the same. Just because you can do things doesn't mean that you have to do it in every photo. And just because you can you know, heavily saturate something doesn't actually mean that it's gonna make the photo any better or any stronger. So make sure that the things that you're doing to your photos make sense and they work towards that end goal that you have for the photo. Okay, the next tip is to have an end goal for that photo. Like when you sit down and you go to process the photo, you should sit down and really analyze and ask yourself, what is bothering me about this photo? What needs to be fixed with this photo? Post-processing is very much a problem-solving exercise where you're trying to fix everything that's wrong with a photo. Sometimes we sit down and we post-process a photo that we really just can't save, can't fix. We're trying to make something out of nothing. And when that happens, you have to be honest with yourself and ask yourself if, you know, maybe what this photo needs is just to be reshot. Because I know I'm guilty of trying to save photos that I shouldn't try to save. They just need to be redone and redone better. Because what happens if I take the time to post-process this shot that was kind of amateur to begin with? I post that and then I finally get a chance to go reshoot that and I, I do much better. Am I going to repost that photo or am I going to reshare that photo? And if I do, I'm certainly going to regret that first time that I released that photo. So you're better off if a photo is weak to begin with, accept it, you can post process it, but don't share it with the world. Wait until it's right before you share it with the world. And if it needs to be reshot, be honest with yourself and go reshoot it. The second thing is make sure that you sit on an edit for a while before you release it. 
I suck at this one because as soon as I get done with an edit, I want to post it to social media. There's almost always some kind of tweak that I wish I would have done before I released it when I view that photo the next day. All of the best post processors in landscape photography, they all sit on their photos. They sit on their edits for at least a few hours and then look at it with fresh eyes before they release it into the world. So if we're taking an hour to post process something or taking two hours or even more to post process something, we owe it to ourselves to at least wait another hour after post processing it to view it and make sure that that photo ended up the way we envisioned it. Because our eyes tend to get used to what we're looking at and a lot of times our colors can be all funky or the photo can be severely oversaturated and we don't notice it until we can look at it with fresh eyes. So sitting on an edit is always a good idea. The next one is also important, probably should have came earlier in the episode, but it's to work non-destructively. So anytime that you're working inside of Lightroom, you're automatically working non-destructively because all you're really doing are just putting filters and edits over the top of a single raw file. And you can go and undo that at any time. But in Photoshop, if you're not careful and not smart about it, you can work very destructively. If you're doing a lot of merge visible layers where you have a pixel layer of your photo and then you're editing that, that is a very destructive way of working. Working with transparent layers and adjustment layers is a much better way to go. So if you're going to have those destructive layers, like a merge visible layer or a merged layer where you actually have pixels of your photo on a layer, you need to save those for the very end and the very beginning of the workflow. The reason for that is let's say that we do a bunch of sharpening right in the middle of our photo and then we do a bunch of edits after that and then later on we decide we don't like the amount of sharpening that we added. We have to go back and redo all of those edits that happened after that sharpening layer in order to alter that sharpening layer. Or let's say that we do some kind of free transform where we're correcting some distortion in our photo. We cannot go back to that layer and change the opacity of that layer. Anything that happened before that free transform, we have to undo that layer and completely remove it in order to alter any of the edits that happened before. Let's say that we did some dodging and burning that we wanted to go back and redo, but there's that free transform layer that happened right after that. In order to alter our dodging and burning layers, we have to completely undo our free transform layers. So if you have those merged layers inside of Photoshop, make sure to put them at the beginning of your workflow or at the end of your workflow. The same is true for sharpening because you're sharpening a pixel layer. You want to save that for the very end. That way if you somebody buys a print from you and you need to print that photo, you can go and undo that last layer that you did or hide that last layer you did and do a different level of sharpening for the version that you're going to send to print. So avoid destructive workflows and save those merge visible layers for the beginning or the end of your workflow. Now I know I just heard all of the Lightroom users say, yeah, well, that's why Lightroom's better. Well, the thing is, one of my favorite things to do inside of Photoshop is I will put all of my adjustments inside its own folder or group. Then I can toggle that on and off to see the before and after of my photo. And sometimes my photo just looks overcooked. And assuming I haven't done any crazy transforms or anything, I can just change the opacity of that folder and I can subtly fade in and fade out all of the edits that I've done. And a lot of times I'll find that when I do kind of over-process a photo, I'll dial down the opacity of that folder down to like 90% 
and it's a whole lot more tasteful all of a sudden. So that's something that I do quite often is I will slowly fade out all of the edits that I've done and find that it's a whole lot more tasteful <laughs> because Nick likes to overprocess his photos. Okay, so to recap, work locally, super, super important. Work organized, try to keep things organized in a nice way that you're going to be able to understand in five to 10 years. Work non-destructively, try to work in a way that you can go back and make changes later on. Shoot in raw, so you can go back and edit those photos. Avoid graduated filters because that is a destructive workflow. Less is more, especially when dealing with color boosts. Be subtle and try to sleep on your edits. The more time you put between doing the edit and reviewing the edit to put it online somewhere, the more honest you're gonna be able to be with yourself about how good or bad that edit is, and you'll be seeing it with fresh eyes. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in this week. Hopefully there was a nugget in there. It's very difficult to talk to a wide range of skill sets, but hopefully there was something in there for everyone. And remember, if you ever have questions, you can always go over to the Facebook group that we have for the Landscape Photography Podcast. Just do a search for Landscape Photography Podcast in Facebook and you'll find the group there. All right. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next week. Take it easy, everyone. Mm -hmm.